I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Dark day in Dallas, November 63, a day that will live on in infamy. President Kennedy was a riding high, good day to be living and a good day to die. Being led to the slaughter like a sacrificial lamb, he said, wait a minute, boys, you know who I am? Of course we do. We know who you are. Then they blew off his head while he was still in the car. Shot down like a dog in broad daylight. It was a matter of timing, and the timing was right. You got unpaid debts we've come to collect. We're going to kill you with hatred without any respect. We'll mock you and shock you, and we'll put it in your face. We've already got someone here to take your place. The day that blew out the brains of the king, thousands were watching. No one saw a thing. It happened so quickly, so quick, by surprise, right there in front of everyone's eyes. Greatest magic trick ever under the sun. Perfectly executed, skillfully done. Wolfman, oh wolfman, oh wolfman howl. Rub-a-dub-dub, it's a murder most foul. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining me once again for this emergency Pod Dylan podcast is my good pal, Tara Zook. Hi, Tara. Hello. Hello again. <laughs> Hello again. <laughs> now, okay, uh, I have to get right off of something uh, off my chest here. Some of you are probably wondering uh, what happened to the intervening three episodes of pod dylan because this is episode 123 and the last episode that we posted was 119 so many of you might be wondering if you're paying attention to such things where did 120 121 and 122 go well those shows are already done uh in and in, in the case of one of them tara was my guest mm-hmm. and um of course when it's with bob dylan they say i think that the phrase is like uh you want to make god laugh make plans or something like that and it, to me it's like if you want to make bob dylan laugh make plans because I got kind of ahead on the show, and I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm will be pretty pretty safe here. Nothing's going to change." And then, boom! Bob Dylan decides to drop his first new song in eight years. Not only his first new song in eight years, but his longest song to date. And so, we decided to do this emergency podcast. Now, I thought about: Do I want to go in and rewrite all the files on those shows and renumber them? And I decided, no. I'm not going to do that. Uh, what are they going to do? Send me to podcast jail? So these, <laughs> this episode is going to be running out of order. We're going to be doing this episode 123, and then following, we're going to do 120, 121, and 122. And then maybe after that, I'm going to stop numbering these entirely because Bob just loves throwing a spanner in the work. So that's, that's what's going on here. But, of course, I, we had to get to this. I mean, we couldn't wait a month to discuss Murder Most Foul. The dropped on his website overnight on March 27th. I, I mean, it's just, I, Tara, it's almost like I need to ask you, like, where were you when you first heard that this happened? Well, I will tell you, but first of all, can I just say, the numbering system, this is what I will call a Wilbury twist. Exactly, right, right yes. You know, you've got volume <laughs> one and yep. volume three and no volume two. Well, you know, Pod Dylan can do that as well. And that's it. <laughs> Thank you very much. So Bob did not consult with me at all about this. The, no. Just, you know, it's, it's in keeping with the with the whole uh, spirit of the adventure. Um, where was I? Well, I think it dropped when I was in bed asleep. I mean, it was a, a weekday morning. It was around midnight East Coast 
U.S. I time. I think so, yeah. It was posted on the website. So I got up, started checking my messages, realized my Twitter had gone crazy. My Facebook <laughs> had gone crazy. Everyone's talking about, you know, a new Dylan song. And my husband had got up a few minutes earlier than me. And, and you know, he'd already posted it on Facebook. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm rubbing sleep up my eyes and getting up. It was just amazing. What a, what a huge. And some people thought it was a hoax. Some people were like, it's April 1st already. No, it's March 27th. What are we doing? <laughs> Um, no, it was really exciting. So, yeah, I just I got up that morning to find it had dropped. And, yeah, everyone was already going crazy. Social media has been uh, just buzzing about it ever since it dropped. Good stuff, bad stuff, intermediate stuff. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild ride. You, you never know with Dylan. What's no, gonna you, next? Yeah. And I, I just love that when something's surprising. Yeah, and, I, I was uh, I was laying in bed and I had woken up early at like four in the morning or something, and I didn't get back to sleep. And so I grab I had my phone next to me, and I grabbed my phone and I was just sort of scrolling and I checked my Twitter mentions because I, I you know I do that at four in the morning because I'm I'm <laughs> healthy I'm healthy like that. And uh, I saw somebody responded to something I wrote and said, "Hey, you do know he just dropped a new 17 minute song, right?" And I was like. What? And I really thought I was just half asleep and I just wow. put it, I put the phone down because I'm like, that does, that's, what is, that doesn't even make any sense. What are you talking about? And I went back to sleep and then I got up in the morning and I went to the website because I was looking for some lyrics for something. And all of a sudden I see this picture of President Kennedy. I'm like, wait, what? And then there's a message. <laughs> there's a message from Bob directly about the song. And so, I mean, it's just, and he really is like a trickster God. He just loves doing <laughs> this to people. I mean, before we even talk about the song in, in question, I want to ask you like what do you thought what did you think about his message that he wrote and the very very um curious phrasing of something we recorded a little while back mm -hmm. what i mean some people are thinking is this a tempest outtake my hunch is that it is not um, mm -hmm. It doesn't it doesn't feel like Tempest, but of course, that doesn't mean anything because there's lots of songs that he's done in his history that don't feel like the record they were cut for. And that's why they were left off. Like Girl from the Red River Shore doesn't sound like anything off of Time Out of Mind. True. And yet it was recorded for that album. So, I, you know, of course, no one has any idea. But what do you what do you think of just Bob's message in general? Well, there's, there's something interesting. Like I want to talk when when. As we go through the song, I want to talk about the puns that he uses in the song. There's lots of puns <laughs> in the song. And I think the message started off with a pun as well. Because when he says at the, he says to be observant. Mm, and, stay stay and safe, stay observant, and may God be with you. Stay observant, and may God be with you. The, the stay observant, I think, is a pun. Because, you know, it can mean being religiously observant. It can mm -hmm. mean, be, you know, keeping an eye out. Because we're obviously all in the middle of this coronavirus and we're trying to pay attention to our behaviors and social distancing and isolation and all this and so i think it was kind of like it was it was it was a, a very dylan style message and the fact that he, he dedicated it to his fans that was kind of neat and cool too yeah and the while back about the recording i completely agree with you that i mean i don't know when it was recorded and saying a while back is kind of vague mm -hmm. at one point in the song he he says and it's actually in relation to the part where he's writing about Kennedy's brain um, being missing from from where it was being stored and to other body parts too, actually. Um, but in that section where he's talking about the president's brain is missing, um, he does say, say, you know, they, they've been trying to solve this for 50 years. And you go back 50 years to 63, that would have put it in the 2012-13 time. But the brain went missing in 1966, which would put it around 2016 that the oh brain went missing. Um, so 
I don't know if that's a clue or not. I don't want to get too deep. There's so many conspiracy theories already about JFK um, that having conspiracy theories about the song we can do without too. Um, but from my gut feeling, listening to the music, the tone, um, Dylan's vocals, it doesn't sound like eight years ago to me. His voice sounds very similar to what he's been doing more recently from triplicate onwards. And so I have no idea where, you know, where to put it on a timeline. I, I couldn't begin to, but my original hunch is that even though kind of the style of the song in some ways is very much like Tempest era songs, I, I still, I, I, I've got a gut feeling that it's later than that, that it's been with probably within the last two years at least. And that's just my gut feeling, you know. Yeah, I mean, we have, of course, we have no idea whether uh, when he was recording these cover records mm -hmm. that he didn't slip in the occasional original. Mm -hmm. I mean, why wouldn't he if he if he had something written? He's uh, got the studio. He's, and got, he's the got, band. got he's got the bands there. Why not? Why not do it? And and yeah. just you know, with the idea of maybe I'll use this someday, but it's not going to mm -hmm. go on this record. But why not do it? So I mean, would it be impossible to suggest that in the middle of recording a triple album? <laughs> of standards that he just said, Oh, I have this other thing. I mean, why not? I mean, it's, yeah, it, I I, again, it's so impressive for a guy who is watched so, um, so intensely mm -hmm. by so many people. I mean, good Lord. When that one little comment Gina Gershon made on a <laughs> podcast, I mean, all of a sudden it was like, boom, you know, the, the Bob internet exploded and people yep. were going through every, you know, I mean, for, for a guy who's watched so intensely, it is amazing that he can do so much of this stuff under the radar. That mm -hmm. he he can record the longest song he's ever recorded, and no one heard a blip about this. There was I have I've heard lots of supposed songs that he's recorded, or albums that he's recorded, or this or that. I've never heard anything about Murder Most Foul until the day they dropped it on the website, which is just amazing. The team he's got in place keep their lid shut about this kind of stuff that by itself is just highly impressive absolutely i mean uh, the first thing i one of the first things i did was you know i'm like i, I wanted to know when he recorded because i wanted to know who the musicians were on the back because well we'll talk about the music but i i loved what they did and i'm like oh you know was dylan playing the piano himself here or was somebody else doing keyboards or um so i, I started searching i go to all my usual places and quite often places like um olaf Bjorn's website he has all the sessions listed and often they'll put something like you know unnamed track or mm -hmm. you know like when they have the recording session information he gets hold of them and and he has a absolutely like the most thorough and amazing database there of all the recording information but there was nothing about this song on anything that i could find <laughs> on his website so yeah this has really gone under the radar hit us all by surprise and you know i mean maybe he recorded it last week when he found he couldn't go to japan and so he was twiddling his thumbs who knows i mean he could have done it any time and i i just you know it, it is quite amazing that that Dylan actually, you know, can still pull out surprises and catches on our toes. Dylan going to be Dylan, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. I was listening to the definitely Dylan episode on this song and Laura was, was getting to the whole thing of like, if you're a Bob fan, you just have to be tolerant of all this mystery, you know, of just all this uncertainty, the vagaries, the, you know, the, the, the strange elliptical language and stuff like that. And you just have, you have to be accepting of that because he's just not, he's not interested in giving you, you know, the recording dates and the musicians. And I mean, my God, the lyrics of the song are not even on BobDylan.com 
come yet mm-hmm. for Pete's sakes. I mean, so it's, it's just remarkable what, uh, it really is. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm still kind of speechless about this cause I just, I've been talking on the show about how this is the longest period he's gone without any original music. This is eight years. And then all of a sudden to, to do this after this drought and then to do it in such a sort of grandstanding way to drop this 17 minute ballad is just, again, yeah. I, I just kind of laugh. You're like, all right, Bob, that's, yeah, that's pretty and kind of, of on brand for a guy that doesn't have a brand. That's right. And of course, everybody's been having the gossip about the new, the new album that he's supposed to have recorded. And like you said, the Gina Gershon, you know, soundbite dropped and, and that hoisted that kind of rumor spinning again. And so I think everybody's focus is thinking new album, new album, new album. And then just boom, this song drops. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And I think, you know, definitely the mystery is a part of Dylan, but it's not just tolerated. Like for me, it's part of why, you know, why I'm so interested mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. mystery part. I like people to keep me on my toes. I don't like predictability. Um, yeah. So go Dylan at his age. He can st- he can still catch you. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's superb. No, it really is. Yeah. I mean, I really think like long after, uh, well, long after history has claimed him, they'll still be pulling out stuff that we've never heard of. You know, like, oh, here's this album that he cut in 1977 and just filed away. What? You know, I mean. Like it's, series 127 or something. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just remarkable. So, all right. So let's, I mean, I where do we even want to start with this song? <laughs> That's so huge. I mean, I will say, I, I will say right off in the bat, when I first listened to it, I sat down and, of course, hit play immediately. Mm-hmm. I was a little thrown by the lyrical content of the very graphic descriptions of of Kennedy's assassination, and I was like, I w- you know, initially I was like, really, is it going to be this? You know, like I don't know if I want to hear 17 minutes of of this. And then, of course, you know, it takes a turn, and of, and the music too is just simply beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the melody here is very beautiful. But then it takes this turn, and I realize, oh, okay, he's taking us on this journey that starts in November of 1963, but now we are sort of tracing through American and world history and with Bob Dylan as our guide. So, mm-hmm. okay, I got it. And then it's kind of amazing by minute seven, <laughs> you know, I was yeah. like, all right, I'm really loving this. And then by minute 13, it was like, how, wow, where's he, this is going to just keep going and does. And one of the things that I have taken from this song, and I'd like to know what you feel about it is for a song that is 17 minutes long, it is the length of practically an entire episode of a sitcom. To me, it doesn't drag. It does no. not drag. And I'm amazed at that. I, I agree. It, it didn't feel when I was listening to it, it didn't feel like 17 minutes. Cause when, when somebody, I noticed somebody wrote, you know, this is because I didn't even look at the timestamp on it. I just hit click play before I did anything. Right. And I was reading comments and it's like, I suddenly went back and checked the time. And I'm like, really? Because it did seem to just fly by. And it's it, it, like you. The funny thing was for me that when I hit play and I heard it, I, I don't know. At first, I don't know whether it was disappointment that I felt or a little bit of where's this going, you know, kind of questioning, hoping, like wondering whether the, 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 there was going to be like a bridge or a chorus <laughs> or something, <Nope. laughs> whether it's going to speed up, slow down, whatever. Nope, it just kept going. It's very steady. And, and at first I thought, oh boy, where's this going? Where's this going to take us? But then I realized, I think I said this in a, in a message to you, that what I realized was that that kind of, the steady, unchanging music in the background that just kind of punctuates and flows through it. It is very flowing. It's very soft. And it's absolutely exquisite. 
you know, the way the strings fade in and out and the piano fades in and out, gentle percussion and drums that just pop up here and there. It, it's like, it, it, for me, it was like a backdrop. And so I could focus, it kind of framed and allowed me to focus on the lyrics and the story and on Dylan's voice. And Dylan's voice stayed soft, like the music was soft. And so it became almost hypnotic. It's, and I was really drawn into it with that. Like you say, it was like a journey as well, because you start off, it's very much, you know, it's 1963, places us in the first line of exactly where we are, what the date is. And I thought, it's going to be all about Kennedy because there's a picture of Kennedy. But then it kind of, it goes to the narrator's point of view, which is the singer's point of view. And then it goes back to Kennedy's point of view, not an outsider. And then there's kind of like, there's the point of view of the people who are around Kennedy as well. Maybe the ones who were involved in, you know, the conspiracies that people say and Dylan does allude to in the song, or the security guys around him, the political people around him, you know, I mean, they had Johnson ready to move in and take his place. And so it, it flicks backwards and forwards from, from one perspective to another, in and out, and nothing is chronological in terms of the references that Dylan uses. Right, even the second line I, jumps back to the 1940s with the day that will live in infamy. That's FDR's exactly. line. That's FDR from Pearl Harbor. And so, yeah, so you've got this kind of timelessness where you, you, you go into today, you're passing through the 80s, the 70s, back to the 60s, back to even before Kennedy. Yeah, it, it, so it's just, for me, it was, it was hypnotic. It was fascinating tracking it, and it doesn't feel like 17 minutes. If anybody hasn't listened to it yet, I mean... Your listeners are going to have heard it, but yeah, I don't. Yeah. Why would anyone listen to the show? Not a Dylan fan, like give it a go because it's an amazing song. Like I'm sending the link to my friends, even the ones who aren't particularly huge Dylan fans, because it's just it's to me it's superb. And uh, the singing style that he's been experimenting with is sort of talk singing thing. I mean, he did that mm-hmm. on Tempest with the Long and Wasted Years, and yeah. it's I find it very charming in its own way because he's got that great kind of deep voice, and it's he just it's like this guy has sidled up to you in a bar. And he starts telling you this story and you find yourself sort of like completely entranced by it, you know, and before you know it, you know, 10 minutes have gone by. You're like, what, what the, you know, (laughs) oh, wow. All right, cool, buddy. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Tell me more. And he just, he has that in the the register of his voice. And I thought, yeah, I I appreciated that. Yeah, I can't imagine even what this would sound like traditionally sung. I don't know (laughs) how it would work. I mean, everybody's been comparing this to American Pie and there are some similarities in its own, in its own way. But I mean, it really is kind of its own piece you know i i can't i can't think of another song to really compare it no i i can't yeah there, there's um you know i know that somebody was saying that and then they were saying uh somebody on on facebook i think it was made some kind of disparaging comment oh it's like it's like billy joel we didn't start the fire you're just going through this list of events and, and people movies and whatnot and it, to me it's something that's really a standalone it's nothing like those and uh, and you are right about Dylan's voice. Dylan's voice is really good, really good in this. His phrasing is absolutely spot on. His emphasis on certain words, it's just, it, it, it just all comes together really well. So, uh, I mean, God, we can't possibly analyze all the lines in the song because we don't have four <laughs> four days to record this. Um, I mean, just if, we're, if you want to if we want to kind of do this verse by verse, that might be a kind of digestible way of, of handling it. I mean, obviously, this thing is replete with references to everything under the sun. I mean, yeah. right in the title, we've got Shakespeare right off right off the bat yep. uh, in the title. But one of the lines that jumped out at me 
in the first verse, uh, outside of the, uh, it, it, it happened so quickly, so quick by surprise, right there in front of everyone's eyes. Greatest magic trick ever under the sun, perfectly executed, skillfully done. Uh, I mean, to me, there is something very relevant about what's going on in this song with what's going on with today in that we have a lot of very rampant criminality by our mm-hmm. leaders, and it's done yep. right in front of our faces. And we're not used to that. We're kind of used to it being hidden. And, of course, when you hide something, you are sort of giving the game away that you realize you shouldn't be doing it. That's why you're hiding it. But when someone does something uh, horrendously racist or Mm -hmm. criminal or crooked right in front of you and they just admit to it, for some people, they're just sort of stunned. You know, you're just kind of like you don't know how to handle it because this person has just sort of owned up to this horrible thing they did. And to me, that line jumped out at me of that Mm -hmm. this murder was committed in front of hundreds if not thousands of people and yet no one is really sure in a for if you ask depends on who you ask a lot of people are not sure exactly what happened even though it was done in front of essentially a small stadium full of people which is yep. again a great magic trick. absolutely and there was, there was a video of it um which yeah. again is mentioned later on in the song no that particular section is absolutely i think it's one of the key things that that, that runs through the song there, there are certain themes that i picked out um he uses uh, magic, magic tricks, deceiving people. There's a few. There's a reference to Houdini, the magic bullet, which of course was part of the conspiracy theory of how the bullet did its job when it was supposed to have come from one place, but it looked like it came from another and and whatnot. Um, so the, the magic goes through it. There are biblical references in that section that you that you that you quoted, like under the sun, like um, it's Ecclesiastes, like thing um nothing new under the sun that kind of biblical reference um and then there's a pun in there like puns definitely run all the way through the song um which is the word executed Mm. because you know that means an assassination but it also means you know carrying something out to its absolute end it was fully executed so you know that is um you're right about politics as well because for me there was another when i was linking bits together i was kind of because parts later on in the song link back to other lines so i i noticed that one of the lines um further on where he says goodbye charlie goodbye uncle sam frankly miss scarlet i don't give a damn what is the truth and where did it go Ask Oswald and Ruby, they ought to know. Now, that line, though, what is the truth and where did it go? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, how many people have said we're living in a post-truth era? You know, Mm. you've got Kellyanne Conway talking about alternative facts, which there's no such thing as alternative facts. (sighs) And, you uh, you know, you get fake news, fake media it's a hoax and and you got the situation where what is the truth the people who are supposed to be telling you how things are are twisting everything and they'll actually they will lie and it will be recorded and they can be played back right to their face and they will still reinterpret it to have not said what it originally said mm-hmm. and i see that as being very relevant to the song and also the fact that with the Kennedy assassination, I think that that changed the world so much. I mean, America especially, obviously, it was an American event. It was an American president. And it was American culture and American society that, that you know, has been kind of processing this aftermath ever since. And it's kind of led us to this particular situation we're in now politically. But that's the same for the whole of the world, because, you know, what American does does affect the rest of the world. It really does, politically, economically, socially, culturally, the movies, the music. 
it filters out across the whole of the world. So, um, you know, I really do think that it's uh, that's a theme of the song. It's like this incident was a turning point in history. And I think it opened a lot of people's eyes as well, because obviously I wasn't alive uh, back when Kennedy was around. But, right, uh, right. you know, for me, I mean, my first degree was in uh, philosophy and politics, and, and I did study American history and American politics a lot. And I almost feel like the Kennedy assassination was an eye-opener to people that after the war, with the rebuilding and the restructuring and everything that was going on, there was kind of like, it's that 50s kind of uh, leave it to be thing, you know, with the perfect houses and the suburbs and the, the TV shows and the, the music and right. bebop and stuff. And I, almost, I almost feel like this was the part where the shades came off, you know, the blinkers came off and, and um, it was a big change in society. And I think that is actually a theme of the, the, the song as well. What do you think about the line about they blew out the day they blew out the brains of the king, referring to a president as a king? That, that I, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that Bob is endorsing that sentiment just because it's a line in a song, but it always makes me a little uncomfortable because we don't, we, they're presidents, they're not king. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like using, and there are some presidents who have think of themselves as kings but they are not kings and we don't have kings in this country and i don't know that line always it makes me wonder is is that is that dylan saying that is that simply the the singer i don't know did that line sit well with you i wonder i i when i have that that line it's well first of all i link it back like you said they blew off his head while he was still in the car and then there's um the day they blew out the brains of the king. So you've got this blew out and blew off. And that to me goes back to the Beatles as well, because a day in the life has the life. I mean, I'm a scouser, like, you know, I kind of like, oh, that's a Beatles reference. Um, a day in the life, it, it, there's, a, there's a person who commits suicide in that and he blew his brains out in a car is one of the lines. And no one, no one even notices in the song, you know, it's like, you know, but, and I think that might be that, you know, this big thing happened and nobody even saw what caused it. Um, the word king is very interesting. I'm kind of, um, I'm like you, I actually don't feel comfortable with that. But at the at the end, I wonder whether it's something culturally, because Kennedy, since the assassination, I mean, I know that at one point he was incredibly unpopular. And I mean, he could be using it as more colloquially in that. I mean, obviously, they referred to the Kennedy years as Camelot. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, yeah, exactly. and when you yeah, have Camelot, yeah. who's who, who, what do you have in Camelot? Well, you have a king, king and a queen Arthur. in Camelot, yeah. of course. So absolutely, but I think that that's I think it might be more of a reference to out like people have pictures of Kennedy. I mean, I remember when I was a when I was a student, you know, students in their in their dorm rooms would have posters of like Che Guevara, Martin <laughs> Luther King, and John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd be they'd still be pictures up, and it's almost like this kind of. You know, Elvis was the king of rock and roll. Kennedy's like the king of of uh, this political movement and a martyr at that. You know, it's um, yeah, it, it is. It is an unusual word to to use there. But I actually yeah, I, I don't feel I never feel comfortable with calling anybody a king because I'm a. I'm a, a Republican and not a monarchist anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, less said about that, the better. Um, but yeah, I think, but I think it might be like a cultural reference. It could be, uh, like you say, it's the reference, because there is a later reference, I think, that kind of does click back to, um, I think it was actually Jackie Kennedy herself who was talking about Camelot in an interview. Um, 
Yeah, so that that is a really interesting line. I mean, it also yeah. could always just be he needed a rhyme. I mean, it could be it could be as pedantic as that that he needed something to rhyme with, so he wrote that in. Oh, but it's just you know. But I mean, again, obviously, I didn't grow up. I, I was I was not around when Kennedy was assassinated, and, and it's 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 hard for me to wrap my brain around. Sorry, it's probably a bad choice of words, but it's hard for me to understand how large Kennedy looms in people's imagination, especially since he was brought down so mm-hmm. young. And so, yeah, it could be that you could be referring to him as a king in a kind of nice way, not so much a he's an autocratic ruler sort of thing, yeah. but he's just he was just the, the pinnacle to us, to this yeah. particular group of people. He was it. He was the ultimate sort of guy in charge, and, and he was brought down, and that's what's so terrifying about it. And what do yeah. you feel about the 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 language of the the verse and that it is so explicit i mean it is very i mean bob's been putting pretty explicit violence in his songs in the last 10 to 15 years yes uh, i mean what do you th- what do you think about how just i mean it it there's no uh, there's no metaphors here it is straight up talking about brains being blown out of heads it's it's very discordant when you first hear it it is and um there's kind of like i i agree with you there's been an awful lot of kind of very very violent imagery in, in Dylan's song, the last songs in the last few years. And I, but I think this kind of, there, there's reference in that verse as well to uh, what I see as kind of almost alluding to a mafia collection, which there were rumors about uh, with the Kennedy family and mafia connections, which I have no idea. I just, I read these rumors as an, as an English person and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have no idea how deep they run. I've never really read any of these conspiracy theories or, or any kind of biographies that go deep into the Kennedys. So there's probably listeners who know a lot more than I do. Um, but as just an outside listener, when he, when Dylan sings, you've got unpaid debts we've come to collect. We're going to kill you with hatred without any respect. Like I know that Dallas was called the city of hate because, you know, I think they were actually... Just before Kennedy's visit to Dallas, I think people were handing out leaflets calling Kennedy a traitor to the country. And, you know, there there was a lot of very extremely right wing and racist people who had positions of authority and power in well, all over Texas. But Dallas was a particular place that was known as the city of hate. And I think that this mafia and the gruesome nature of, of the murder, I think that, that that it's almost like watching a Tarantino film or a Scorsese film or something where you've got, you know, the graphic violence shown in all of its uh, of all of its detail, partly to shock. What's he say? Well, shock you and mock you and uh, partly to shock, but also to kind of point out just how gruesome it was, you know, didn't want to kind of like sugarcoat it or mm. or fluffy it around, fluff it around the edges. Fluffy? What? To, to flip it around the edges, you know, he's coming out. This was an absolutely gruesome assassination. It was a murder. It was, it was bloodthirsty. And you know, when I first, when I was a kid and first saw the sh- the sh- the video of the the shooting, I couldn't. I, I was I was literally like for days afterwards. The image haunted me, and I thought, how could his wife? I mean, I'm thinking of Jackie Kennedy. How could you know what what would have been going? What would have she be going through as her husband is lying literally you know as another pun in the song leaning to the left she, he falls to the left lands right on her lap with his head blown off i mean that to me was so gruesome and so i think it's dylan's way of being like so hyper realistic over it in this song um to because there's another part as well later on i think um i'm trying to think 
we're talking about, I've got like 12 pages of notes, Rob, I'm telling <laughs> you. Um, they're talking about, oh, they mutilated his body and they took out his brain. Mm. What more could they do? They piled on the pain. And I think, I think it's really trying to emphasize what a, a gruesome and, and uh, you know, there's, there's many ways to, if you, if you want to kind of get rid of somebody who's a problem, there's lots of ways you can do it that aren't quite so public and, and, and horrific as that. There, it's funny you say that because that that reminds me, it makes me go back to the line in the first verse. It says, we'll mock you and shock you and we'll put it in your face. There mm-hmm. is a certain amount of kind of like, you know, rubbing it in the face of the people by doing it out in public like that. You know, and, yeah. it, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about, where we have this rampant criminality going on right in front of our faces. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a certain amount of like, I'm going to do this to you and I'm going to make you watch and that is going to make that is going to yeah. establish a dominance relationship where you are the dominated and I'm the yeah. I'm the dominator. And it inherently makes you feel weak because this person is being so aggressive. And That's so that, right. that, that phrase mock you does feel that way, that it's like, yeah, yeah, we are going to blow off the president's head in front of women and children and people. You know, I mean, there yeah. is that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's Bob's you know, I don't know what he's getting at with the the increased violence in his songs i mean good lord on tempest even a sweet nice song like soon after midnight ends up with a corpse being dragged through the mud yeah. uh, so i mean you know even in songs you wouldn't expect violence to show up in it shows up in but i mean it, it i will say yep. it was very upsetting when i first heard it but then we get to we get to verse two um and i mean of course we can jump back and forth we just because we're mm-hmm. moving on to verse two doesn't mean we're stuck there but we go to verse yep. two and all of a sudden the beatles are coming and we're yeah. like, okay, we have now moved up from November 63 to February of 1964. We have all of a sudden tur- – we've, we've turned a corner here, and it, it, it starts suggesting at that point, all right, the song has a lot more to talk about than just this one event, which is mm-hmm. – again, it, 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 you're like, okay, now where are we going? So, And he gets into that a bit about the go get your coat, ferry cross the Mersey and go for the throat. There's three bums coming, all dressed in rags. What do you, what in your mind? Who are the three bums dressed in rags? Oh well, I had to, I had to go and research this because this was something I read. And, and same thing is, I knew they had to be real people, but I wasn't that up on the, on the actual events of that day. And apparently, um, three, three men were arrested in Dallas, in Dealey Plaza which is just about 100 metres away from where the the assassination took place. I think it was earlier in the day before the assassination. They were, they were looking suspicious, and there were photographs of them. I don't know if it was earlier in the day, actually. I assumed it was from what I read, but it might not have been. Anyway, three men looking a bit like hobos, you know, like kind of unkempt, dirty clothes, and there was actually a photograph of them being arrested and taken away by police. Um, and I think that's what he's uh, what he's alluding to, because some people thought that they might have been involved in the assassination. The the interesting thing is, I mean, we are jumping backwards and forwards that whenever Dylan's talking about the perpetrators, he uses the plural pronoun of we. Mm. And I think that insinuates that it was a conspiracy, that there was more going on. It wasn't just Lee Harvey Oswald acting as a disturbed person on his own i think it's uh, and there's other references which we can go through when we get to them but you know it says we'll 
uh, we're going to kill you with hatred, you know, we'll mock you, we've already got someone here to take us. It's like it was a collective plot, mm. a plan by by multiple people to have this happen. Um, but as to the daily, okay, this is me going a little bit too deep. But the daily, <laughs> no, no the such daily thing, Plaza, Come on. There's no such thing. It's Bob Dylan, right? <laughs> um, but the Daily Plaza link is really interesting. So like I said, the three bums are the three men. If, if this represents the three men who were arrested, they were arrested in Dealey Plaza, which, as I say, was about 100 yards away from where the assassination happened. Now, in October 1961, so you're talking about, you know, first, first year of Kennedy's presidency, he hosted a White House dinner on a lunch for Texas newspaper publishers. This is specifically from Texas. And uh, one of them who was there was a man called Ted Dealey, who was the publisher of the Dallas Morning News, newspaper man. And he absolutely hated uh, John F. Kennedy. Mm. He didn't like him. And at that lunch, he actually said, the country needs a man on horseback and Kennedy is riding around on Caroline's tricycle. And if you look at the first part of the song, it's, he said President Kennedy was a riding high. Now, that's more like riding on a horse, like a cowboy coming into Dallas. Sure. Like that Texan imagery of the tough cowboy kind of, uh, you know, the new gunfighters come into town and he's full of bravado. Um, and then there was the reference by this Ted Dealey. Now, Ted Dealey's father was George Dealey, and they named Dealey Plaza after George Dealey. And so that's just... Mm. If you want to, if you want to get really deep into things, I just saw the name Dealey, and I'm like, I've seen that word somewhere in this, in this song, and yep. So um, yeah, they, you know, there's definitely. Uh, I think Dylan's kind of winding everything in together to to show how it all fit and how they they were, you know, not everybody thought Kennedy was a hero. Right, right. I mean, the line right after the three bums come and dressed in rags, he it says pick up the pieces and lower the flags. And in that case, I mean, he's literally probably talking about, uh, you know, picking up the pieces of, well, he's talking in two different ways, picking up the pieces yeah. in that literally picking up pieces of, of Kennedy's body, mm -hmm. picking mm -hmm. up the pieces, of course means wrapping up or assessing or, you know, cleaning everything up and lower the flags. But of course that line is after the line about the Beatles. And it makes me think that yeah. he's trying to get to something where, um, as you're as you get older and your memories start to pile up, they become less distinct. Yep. Uh, you know, to historians, they always make that hard demarcation line of like, well, Kennedy died in November '63, and then the Beatles were in January or February of 1964, and that's a hard line that they like right. to draw. But of course, if you've lived through that period, and if you like Bob are 78 years old, you know the the lines become less distinct. Mm -hmm. And I almost and the, the song and and in the style of the talk singing that he's doing, it is kind of like a conversation, like a, a musing, a guy's musing. And so yeah. I I it's. It's initially confusing when you read it, at least the first couple and the first couple of times I listened uh, to yep. the song. But I, then I start to like how it's kind of sloshes back and forth. Yep. It's not a linear line. It's not, okay, we're going to talk about Kennedy in the first verse, Beatles and Woodstock in the second. Then we're mm -hmm. going to go to, you know, Dickie Betts in the third verse. You know, it's yep. not, it's not just bum, bum it's not a, it's, it's not, we didn't start the fire. Yeah. Uh, I love Billy Joel, but God, that song's awful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not just a laundry list. It is actually something a little different because it is kind of things swaying back and forth and some stuff comes back and some stuff moves forward yeah. out of place. And I like that feeling of kind of we don't know where this memory is at any given point. That's 
Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly what you've got going all the way through this song where you're going backwards and forwards. Um, before we uh, before we move on to the next part, though, there was something at the beginning of verse two and the end of verse one that I wanted to point out that I found interesting. And I don't know what you think about it. So the last line before um, of verse one, um, the wolfman, a wolfman, a wolfman howl, which is the wolfman Jack, um, who comes up later as well. Um, then he says, Rub-a-dub-dub, it's a murder most foul. And rub-a-dub-dub is a nursery rhyme. Now, rub-a-dub-dub has three men in a tub. And then he's talking about the three tramps afterwards. Oh, boy. Right? (laughs) But also, the nursery rhyme then continues. The idea of a nursery rhyme continues because the next verse starts, Hush, little children, you'll understand. And hush, little baby, don't you cry is a a song. Right, from the Mockingbird, right. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, Mama's going to buy you a mockingbird or whatever. Um, but also, Hush Little Baby is the first line of a Joan Baez song, All My Trials, which is, again, civil. it's about civil rights. It's kind of a gospel-style song. It's Hush Little Baby, Don't You Cry, You Know Your Mama Was Bound to Die, or something like that. From my memory, it's very, very poor on Joan Baez's lyrics. But, but that, you know, that actually ties back because there's a lot of links to civil rights Mm-hmm. Um, issues within the song and so yeah hush, hush little children hush little baby don't you cry um and the joan Baez song are all kind of in that and then slide down the banister again that's kind of the thing a kid would go and do right right um so it, it, it's just kind of interesting that he uses that and i think okay this is this is another thing that goes sideways i guess with, <laughs> how many times do i go sideways in these podcasts you might not invite me back again with my notes <laughs> going sideways no but, no worries <laughs> but one of the things that really interested me about this song is i was reading reviews of it when it came out and one of the reviews used the word doggerel twice in a derogatory sense about this song oh it's just doggerel and then i noticed that my friend also wrote a review of the song and he used the word doggerel in his review too. And so I started thinking like, what, you know, why are people using this word doggerel? Because, you know, I had this idea in my head of what I think doggerel is. So I went and looked back at it and I thought, actually, it's absolutely perfect for this, for this song because it's poetry. Like doggerel in its original sense was used to describe poetry that was either irregular or was very monotonous, which I think that I think the review was in the New Yorker. The New Yorker review of the song actually used the word doggerel because they thought it was just too monotonous or it's been used um, when something's too simplistic or Hmm. a bad rhyming scheme, you know, like just really poor, you know, this is a cat. It sat on the mat. The cat was fat. I got my hat, you know, that kind of thing. It's doggerel, very simplistic. But I think... I don't think this is a criticism that can be aimed at Dylan. I know when I was listening to the song, a few of the cliches and a few of the rhymes, they just made me cringe in a way. You know, you're like, oh, it was it was just such a perfect song. And then you did this. Uh, the Patsy Cline line was one that made me go, oh, that's a bit too far. <laughs> I can see what you're doing with the pun on the word Patsy, especially with the word um, with uh, Lee Harvey. Oswald, and of right, course he said that I'm a pat, I'm a patsy. I'm patsy. He used that actual line, and then of course you you know I'll talk about the Dylan connection with Oswald in a minute, but um, but you know so 
there are times in the song where you kind of go, ouch, that one doesn't quite fit right. Um, but then I thought, well, hang on. You, we've got this. I think it's actually a deliberate technique by Dylan. I don't think he's, I know he's a master of words so much that he wouldn't produce a song with lyrics that were deliberately lazy or at least I don't think so. I mean, no, maybe he does, no. but you know, I don't think he goes for the lazy quick rhyme or whatever. I think there is a purpose to what he does. And my friend had pointed out that when he wrote Tempest, I mean, the song Tempest that we were talking about before, he actually took his original lyrics, apparently, and he paired them back and paired them back and paired them back, took out all of the, 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 the fancy uh, rhyming schemes and imagery and metaphor until he had something um, that was very, well, you know, incredibly, I'm going to use the same phrase, sorry, can't think of another phrase, but incredibly pared down to what his original had been. He cut it back and cut it back down to its essence. And I wonder whether he's done that here too, that he's he's trying to catch the essence of what's going on and how memories work. And he's deliberately cut them back. And so, you know, the children's rhymes, there's another there's another rhyme that he uses with the wise old owl. So, yeah, I mean, that even reminds me of that story that we've all heard about uh, when he was recording Highlands. And, of course, you and I covered that song on the show where the that record exec, apparently, after he was done recording the song, said, do you have a short version? And he goes, that is the short version. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, he's been doing that. He's been writing these epics. And then, as you say, pairing them. I mean, they, what, what, isn't it um, uh, who was it that said kill your darlings? Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like that's that's Bob's gotten gotten good at that. He's like, obviously, yeah. he's writing these massive tomes and then scaling it way back to the to the point where it's still an incredibly long song. Mm -hmm. uh, but but nevertheless, yeah, he is. I I didn't hear that about Tempest. I didn't know that that he apparently pared it down even further. So that's really interesting to think of yeah. that there might be even a thirty minute version of Murder Most Foul or something. <laughs> I mean, that's a short story at a certain point. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So and, you know, when you're talking about nursery rhymes, you know, that kind of doggerel is often used in nursery rhymes and they were political in their day. They were created with political messages. So, you know, so, yeah, I think I, I think mostly I would say it's it's done deliberately by Dylan as an actual style um, with intent and purpose. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's. <sighs> Okay, so so right after that part, we go back to the the Dilly Plaza. He says, "I'm going to Woodstock. It's the Aquarian Age. Mm -hmm. Then I'll go over to Altamont and sit near the stage. Put your head out the window. Let the good times roll. There's a party going on behind the grassy knoll. I mean, what do you make of comparing Altamont uh, to to the Kennedy assassination? Because it, it, to me, it's like there is a. I mean, by by comparing them all, I mean you're he's saying Woodstock, the Aquarian Age, Altamont." But I mean, Altamont obviously was the the site of a of a public murder. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, is he is he? Do you do you? You just talked about it. You don't think it's lazy, but is it kind of just he's drawing a line between the incipience of violence in the public sphere? I mean, obviously, before Kennedy, many there was there was lots of public violence in front. I mean, yep. you know, that's how World War One got started for Pete's sakes. But I mean, <laughs> what do you what do you think of the reference to to Altamont specifically? I think I wondered, like, I know. So, you know, he uses the, the phrase Aquarian age. And I think he kind of makes a, a later there's a later part of the song that's an absolute kind of, uh, you know, the opposite of the Aquarian age. I think when he's talking about it being the end of times, the end days, um, you know, marking the beginning of uh, the apocalypse almost, that everything's going to go downhill. But 
so I think that's what Woodstock kind of represents is that kind of, um, you know, the loving, the peace and, and, and flower power and all of that. And I think Alderman was an absolute direct contrast to it. And again, I mean, when I heard it, um, I have read about um, Meredith Hunter and what happened to her with the Hells Angels who were there for supposedly for security. And, you know, three three other people were killed by accident, actually. And then there were loads of people injured and property damage at Altamont. That's, that was just crazy. It was a really negative experience. And it's funny to him. He says he wants to sit near the stage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, like I just saw it as being um, a direct contrast of two things that are both fundamentally the same. They're a music festival. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the whole different spirit and the violence in one and the peace and love in the other. And, you know, I just saw it as two events. I mean, I don't think it's clumsy, but I think it's kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That he it, he's picked two things and put them together that kind of, uh, he's done it for contrast and it's a bit too in your face for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, that line, I, yeah. And that's what I'm trying to say is like, it's such an obvious one with so many subtleties going through the song that hits you in the face that, you know, to mention Woodstock and Ultimate, which were both in the same year. I think they were in 69 and, uh, you know, they're, they're way after the fact, you know, Dylan, Dylan was, uh, in Woodstock himself at that point, right? He was living in, in the town. Right. Of it was, right. It does. Um, it, it, Right, it does feel maybe a little '60s Cliff Notes ish. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so that, that's what. Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, I've got well, I've got to kind of place this in in the middle of all these '60s things that were going on, and yeah, um, yeah it does seem that way. Um, but I think it's just done specifically as a contrast, a definite. You know, these are two events. One was very peaceful. One was very violent. And the fact that he's up near the stage in the middle of the action for Altamont is the one you know that to me means that he's very much focused on the one that was negative right um but but you know again i wasn't born until 1970 so <laughs> so i'm doing all this from from uh, history books and google searches so yeah after altamont uh, bob moves kind of back to dallas because we start talking about a party on the grassy knoll and it says don't say dallas don't li- don't say Dallas don't love you, Mr. President. Put your foot on the tank in the tank and step on the gas. Try to make it to the triple underpass. And then we move into a black face singer and a white face clown. Better not show your faces after the sun goes down. Now what do you what do you make of that? All of a sudden we're we're talking about a black face singer. Where where's that coming from? Okay, so the way I was kind of looking at it was that it's it's a reference to the racism that was inherent in Dallas at the time, I think. I know that some places had, um, what were they called? called sundown rules or sundown towns or something like that, where um, in white neighborhoods, black people couldn't be out after sundown, otherwise they'd be picked up by the police. Wow. Um, and so I think that, that that is definitely a reference to that. And I know that, you know, Dylan's had uh, an interest in the history of minstrels and blackface performers. Absolutely. And, There's even an uh, appearance by one in Masked and Anonymous, played absolutely. by played by Ed Harris. Ed, Ed Harris, that's right. And then I, I kind of thought, like, I don't know what other people think when they listen, but the whiteface clown, I was thinking of the Rolling Thunder with mm. Dylan with his whiteface. 
and uh, but I but I really think that 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 really to me seems like a, um, it's a civil rights racism kind of reference right. that phrase there. And then he he goes moves over to a very contemporary reference where he says we're living in a nightmare on Elm Street, uh, which is <laughs> kind of makes you again you know snaps your head back a little bit because all of a sudden it's got all these sort of old timey references and then all of a sudden something uh, relatively contemporary, I guess not yep. really. It's from the eighties, but um, yeah. Yeah, and then he goes. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, of course, Elm Street is one of the roads that intersects with Main and Commerce in Dallas. Oh wow! With the triple underpass. Oh wow! Okay. Oh. One of those. One of those streets is, uh, and it's by Dealey Plaza again. We were talking about Dealey Plaza, so I, I really like that's another pun where it crosses over and has like a double reference mm. because it was a nightmare and it was on Elm Street, and so you've got the cultural reference and you've got, and also I like the pun with Elm and. Elm, Deep Elm. Right, in the very uh, next line, he goes talking when yeah. you're down on Deep Elm, which I had to look up. I didn't know what Deep Elm was, and then well. I see that it's a town down in, in Texas. I had no idea yeah. what that was. Yeah, Lead Belly, uh, I don't know whether he lived there for a while or whether he was from there, but uh, no, he wasn't from there. But Lead Belly had a connection there. So did uh, Blind Willie Johnson, I think. And it's it's a deep, uh, it's very much, um, and it is it is um, a Dallas district. It's it's by Dallas and. You know, it's very much connected to blues music. So, I, I, but I just love that, that very subtle, like some of the ones we, I, we were saying earlier on that, um, you know, some of those word plays and connections are, are kind of clumsy and, you know, like the Patsy Cline one that's coming up. Um, <laughs> but I think that this Elm Street and Deep Elm, it, it's just, it, to me, that whole little section is absolutely how shows how Bob Dylan is a master of doing this when he, you know, um, when he does it well. And it's funny because as we were talking, I remember my friend had said this morning, there was, um, there was a quote from Dr. Johnson, the Samuel Johnson, you know, the, the guy who wrote the first dictionary in England hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of years ago. And he was talking about William Shakespeare and he said something like, you know, I, I wish I could remember the actual quote, but it's like, Shakespeare is a genius, but he also does some things really badly. <laughs> and and I think like somebody had mentioned online that, you know, it's the same with Dylan, is he has that balance where he has phrases like this with the deep elm and Elm Street, all of the civil rights references, the triple underpass comes in, um, the sundown reference. But then he does a clumsy, you know, something that sounds really trite or cliche. And it's almost like in anybody else that clumsiness would overshadow everything mm-hmm. else but Dylan is is so talented that even though he has this aspect to him that sometimes he'll throw out these cheesy cliches bad jokes one-liners you know I call them like dad jokes he, he does a lot of those kind of things uh, he definitely loves those kinds of jokes he does he's got that kind of sense of humor but it goes right just overshadows that and I think this this one phrase is definitely one of those yeah uh, speaking of blues music of course he he a couple lines down he says I'm going down to the crossroads mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. going to flag a ride so they're right you know right there and the place where hope faith hope and charity died shoot him while he runs boy shoot him while you can't see it. if you can shoot the invisible man uh goodbye charlie goodbye uncle sam frankly miss scarlet i don't give a damn what is the truth and where to go ask oswald and ruby they ought to know shut your mouth said a wise old owl business is business and it's a murder 
most foul. Uh, you know, business is business. Uh, again, another kind of pun in that that can be taken several different ways. Business is business is literal. And then business is business is that we got to get this thing done, whatever this thing is. And it can be business or it can be the murder of a president. Yep. Or a mafia reference. Uh, right. Um, uh, and what, okay, that just those few lines, you read them out and it probably took you about 10 seconds to, to, to read yeah. them. And, uh, there are so many references in there that, that we can go into that are just like, they're mind blowing. Um, so well, I should, probably shouldn't say that as we're talking about. It's hard not to use that phrase. It's hard not right to now. use the phrase. And I'm not using it in a disrespectful no, way when, I, when yeah. I say it. No. Um, but anyway, so if we just look at that, start off with obviously the shotgun reference in shooting while he runs, boy, shooting while you can. That's the, it's kind of a, a play on the shotgun song. But the Invisible Man is the most... I didn't know this until I started looking it up because of the song. I've read the Invisible Man book. I've seen the, the old movies. I've seen the newer movies and the takes on it. But I never realized until I started reading up that Ralph Ellison, who wrote The Invisible Man, he said it was all about civil rights. And it was all about the invisibility of people in our society who don't have a voice. And it turns out that his wife was Fanny McConnell... And she founded what was called the Negro People's Theatre in Chicago, which was very, very much tied up with, you know, giving people a voice and uh, and civil rights movement. And so that, to me, was a really interesting connection. Hmm. And then, of course, you've got the Gone with the Wind reference with Franklin with Scarlet, and that was a, that was a, a book and a movie all about um, the Civil War mm-hmm. um, and slavery um, and rebuilding. America after the end of the war as well. And so, yeah, all of that is in. But the other thing is we were talking earlier on about the nursery rhyme references and the wise old owl is a nursery rhyme reference too. So I think it's from about the 1800s and it it goes like this. I'm going to read the nursery rhyme. It's only short. Um, But the, the rhyme is wise old owl lived in an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we all be like that wise old bird? And I was just thinking that is, um, I don't know, I, I think it, it's, it's very important as, as, a, as someone who's interested in Dylan to see that as kind of a way that he operates. I, I really see him as that, like, that quiet, he's watching everything, he's taking everything in, he's <laughs> got a, a mind like a magpie, and the less you speak, the more you can hear other people. And he also, with the introduction to this song release, when he says, you know, be observant, mm-hmm. I think I think that's a message there as well. I mean, as well as it being, you know, shut your mouth, business is business, don't talk about it. You know, it's that that level. It's like a double level thing. But it's also the fact that wisdom comes by looking, by watching, by thinking, by listening to other people and seeing how they act. You learn more than by just talking yourself. And so, yeah, I, I, I just I just really like that part of the song. Speaking of it, you're right. When you go back to referencing the the, the message that the song came with on his website, mm-hmm. uh, I, it, it occurred to me that this that that message was also tweeted out. Uh, so mm-hmm. on the one hand, I think, well, was was did Bob have to prune the language back uh, like we were just talking about pruning the language back? Did he have to prune the language back to fit it all in a single tweet? And then that made me think, is that probably the first tweet Bob Dylan's ever written? I can't think of another I can't think of another time where we had a message directly from him that would have been written in a tweet form. Oh, 
that's that's breaking news right there. <laughs> no, I, I I think you know I can't think of another time where directly he has had his words tweeted. Right. I mean, Whoa. like he he has posted stuff on his website where it's, where it's like a memorial to someone who died. But the, yep. you know, but that's always under the context of this is a message from Bob Dylan, and that is yep. that you know the, you'll you'll get a link on Twitter to the website to go read it. Right. But this is the first time I can think of where they probably had to literally say, well, look, if the, if we're gonna push this song out with just sort of Bob's message, well, then it has yeah. to fit in one. I mean, obviously, they could have written it as two tweets, but everyone knows when you're writing Twitter, the punch is that it's in one message. So, I mean, I'm yeah. trying to think. It's like, here's Bob Dylan trying to fit <laughs> trying to fit yeah. that number of characters in. Like, like the, that's, a, that's a new <laughs> discipline for him to do. Like, we need it in 280 characters, Bob. Yeah. Not 280. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think. I think he might have. Yeah, I think he might have found something there. Hey, who knows? Bob. Might, Bob might be like, "Hey, I like this Twitter thing." All of a sudden, shooting all sorts of tweets oh, out. Please, no. We've got enough people on Twitter, and yeah, that's probably right. Um, yeah. Well, maybe yeah. he's got one of those fake accounts, you know, where he's like, oh, yeah. somebody else, Harry Hugh, or something like that. So, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. So I mean, okay. I, I mean, do we want to move on to verse three, or you still? Is there more? I think, again, it's like we, we could be here all day if we do this. We've been so. talking, and yeah, I mean, yes. Let's move on to to verse three. All right. I know that when we come up to the part with all the songs in, I'm sure that we don't need to go through kind of every, discuss right. all of the songs. Just right. put, pick out some really interesting snippets. Right. Because so there, I've noticed there are a lot of people online who are doing. The full list, they're doing playlists from Spotify. 74 and songs, I YouTube. think it is. I know, and maybe there's even more there that are that are hiding under the surface. So, you know, there's people out there who are doing a really amazing job of kind of recording all of this and listing it all so people can hear the influences. But, yes, let's go for verse 3. All right. Let's all right. do it. So verse three, verse, verse 3, we move right back up to the 70s with Tommy, Can You Hear Me? I'm the acid queen. I'm riding in a long black Lincoln limousine, right in the backseat next to my wife, headed straight on into the afterlife. I'm leaning to the left. I got my head in her lap. Hold on. I've been led into some kind of trap where we ask no quarter and no quarter do we give. We're right down the street from the street where you live. Now, of course, the street where you live is a song uh, yep. that too. I mean, again, it's we're this constant. It's like a. The, the the picture I see man it's almost like a like a um like an ocean wave where you're standing on the beach and the beach is kind of the later references and then the yep. tide keeps coming in and pulling you back because I mean he, we're 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 yep. now in the 70s with Tommy and that sort of thing and then bang yep. we're back into the the Kennedy part and it's dragging us back on and then That's they go right. on about the mutilating his body and they took out his brain. Mm -hmm. What more they could do, they piled on the pain, but his soul was not there where it was supposed to be at. For the last 50 years, they've been searching for that. And, of course, we were talked about that. Is that an indication of the, you know, is Bob being exact there? Are we talking uh, 2013? Yeah. But, I mean, it could just be that 50, 50 is just a nice round number. Yeah, it could be. It could be, you know, people are just talking generally, oh, it was about 50 years ago now, you know. I think that that whole section, what I pulled out of it was – First of all, again, like the puns, like leaning to the left. Right. Uh, we see on the video of the assassination that Kennedy did fall to the left and, you know. Back into the left, was, back into the yeah. left, yeah. And then you've got the political influence of the, like, leaning to the left. Because I think from what I understand anyway, I mean, you know, they're, they're probably Americans who are very well up on, on their politics, but... I think that as Kennedy's term had gone on, this is like year three of his of his term of office, I think he had become slightly more, 
I don't know whether in European terms it would be left, but, you know, moving towards the centre and towards the left with more progressive ideas and policies that he never got to implement and deal with properly. you know, I, I, I get the um, I get the inference that Kennedy was interested in civil rights. I get the inference that he was interested in healthcare, things like that. So I, you know, from what I understand, and it's not very deep, Kennedy was leaning a little more to the left because I think he'd been quite conservative when he when he was selected and and uh, uh, and became the candidate. And so I think. I think that's all very interesting. And I kind of I was reading as well that in Chronicles, Bob Dylan was talking about Kennedy actually being elected. And he he said that I think in an interview, maybe he said he didn't vote in the 1960 election because he thought none of the candidates looked like him, dressed like him. You know, just basically he didn't have a connection to any of the candidates. And so he didn't vote. He didn't bother going out and voting. Mm. But then uh, Dylan's mother had told him that Kennedy had been to Hibbing on the um, election trail. And he'd had thousands of people came out from that area of of, uh, the Iron Range. And his mother had told him that Kennedy really understood what their problems were. And he was listening to people. And he gave a really like electrifying speech. You know, he, he was very, very good at speaking. His uh, his use of language is fantastic, Kennedy. And I think Dylan said in Chronicles that if he'd known that before the election, you know, if his mum had told him that, he would have probably gone out and voted mm. and voted for Kennedy. But, you know, he just saw someone who didn't connect with him at the time back in 1960, which mm. I thought was quite an interesting um, observation there. What else about that section? Well, it's like a lot of this song. I mean, um, there's like a softness and a gentleness to the music. Um, and to Dylan's voice that kind of contrasts and makes the the tragedy and the violence and the horror even more emphasized because this, you know, I got my head in her lap. You know, it sounds like they're going out for a romantic drive. Right, right. Um, you know, and he's lying on the back seat. You know, not that he's just been assassinated. And, and yeah, so it's that kind of, that contrast of the softness and the romance with the harshness and the, the horror of the of the situation was interesting. And the street where you live, there's a later reference to Nat King Cole with okay. Nature Boy. And, uh, of course, Dylan had said in an interview that, you know, somebody had asked him about it was, I think it was the Bill Flanagan interview in 2017. And he was asked uh, what it felt like to see footage of himself when he was younger, like looking back on all those old clips and, and the films. And Dylan had said, I see Nat King Cole, Nature Boy. Oh, he said it was something like um, that it was um, a very strange Enchanted Boy is the lyrics from the, the, the song. I was trying to remember the lyrics. You know, terribly sophisticated performer, Dylan said. Got a cross-section of music in him already, postmodern. Uh, and that's a different person from who I am now. Mm. And so I think that, you know, Dylan really rates Nat King Cole. Well, we've got a King reference again, not going back there with the crowns. Um, but, yeah, so I think that that is really interesting. Um, the Street Where You Live was a song from My Fair Lady originally, I think. Yes, it is. It's from the musical My Fair Lady. And, um, yeah, and that that's all. Um, My Fair Lady is in itself about transforming to being a different person. And, yeah, I, I thought it was a really um, interesting reference to Nat King Cole there. Yeah. Yep. He has the line about throw the gun in the gutter and walk on by, which uh, seems to 
squarely sort of land in the camp of the conspiracy Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of thing because i mean who's yeah. throwing a gun in the gutter i mean if if you believe it was oswald oswald was in the book depository he was not but but here we're clearly talking about somebody that's you know on the street level and is throwing the yep. gun in the gutter and walking on by and then he says yeah, wake up drop drop the evidence yep. and walk off yep. yeah in the crowd and he says wake up little Susie, let's go for a drive i've i've been reading a bunch of articles and some people are saying oh is that Suze Rotolo I think that's mm. I think that's a reach I think it's clearly it's just a reference to the Everly Brothers song I agree I mean, wake I, up I, little I Susie how true. what else do you need there I agree with the Everly Brothers reference I I saw the one that was talking about Suze Rotolo as well and I definitely lean towards it just being a straight up uh Everly Brothers I mean I know sometimes I go off on these little tangents <laughs> and people kind of laugh at me and point the fingers and like yeah you're looking too deep into this one but um but I think that one's quite a straightforward one. Right. The next, the next line after that, cross the Trinity River. Uh, let's keep hope alive. Turn the radio on. Don't touch the dials. Parkland Hospital, only six more miles. Now, I don't know if you noticed that Neil Young had written about Murder Most Foul on his website. Oh no, I uh, haven't seen that. And it's only a one-liner. I mean, it's 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 a very it's a very short but really nice little write-up. He, he loves, Neil Young loves the song. He's like, you've got to listen to this. If you want to see a master at work with the, with the works, with the words and the music, he says, you've got to listen to this. So Neil Young really liked it. But Neil Young said something really interesting. He said, he, he said, it's like telling the story through the radio. And I was thinking about that mm. because, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about, how the song kind of fades in and fades out. Like you said, it's like the waves on the beach. You know, it draws you to this part and then you're right back into it and draws you out again and and uh, different perspectives. But with these songs, and they're all like, when, when Dylan has this list of songs, we start with turn the radio on, don't touch the dial. And it's almost like if you're driving in a car with an old radio, I mean, some of the young kids might have satellite radio now, but if you've ever been in a car with, a, with an old, like an FM radio, you're driving and you tune in and you tune out, you get signal or suddenly like they'll be static and then you'll be on a different channel and you'll have to retune. Oh, you found a country music channel and then that goes, oh, it's a Christian channel and then that goes and, oh, this is a channel playing uh, blues music or rock and roll or whatever. And I, I kind of, when Neil Young said it's like telling it through a radio, mm-hmm. I, I can see that it's it's that it's that kind of mix of tuning things in and then and and tuning out again and bits of static where things get fuzzy and you can't quite tell what's going on and then you're back in and you're tuned in again. Yeah, I, that made me think of that. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, he he talks about Parkland Hospital. Of course, Parkland has unfortunately been back in the news recently. Uh, the, just the word Parkland uh, yeah. because of the shooting uh, there. Uh, that magic bullet you got me. You got me dizzy, Miss Lizzie. Another song you filled me with lead again. It's a pun. It's a grim pun. That mm-hmm. magic bullet of yours has gone to my head. And then you've got the your favorite line. I'm just a Patsy like Patsy Klein. Klein. <laughs> uh, yeah, never shot anyone from in front or behind. I've got blood in my eye. Of course, blood in my eye. We've yeah. that's a Dylan cover right there. Got blood in my ear. Never going to make it to the new frontier. Supruder's film. I seen the night before. Seen it 33 times, maybe more. It's vile and it's deceitful, it's cruel and it's mean. Ugliest thing that you have ever seen. And it's funny that with those lines and the order that they go in. If you if you if you want to, you could maybe think that he's talking about the Sapruder film 
is vile and deceitful because it's those words are following immediately to the, the you know he's saying this is a proof of him it's vile and deceitful but I feel that he's not he's talking about the murder itself yeah I mean the film is is um, I had to look that up I have to say <laughs> not being an expert on on what was going on at that time and that was the it was like just a home movie I guess right. I think it was a Abraham's a brooder yeah yep. Abraham's a brooder and. He was just happened to be filming it, you know. Yep. Or the president's cavalcade's gone past the window. I'm going to film this, or yep. you know, it's going right past where I live. And he happened to have caught probably what the best footage of the of the event was. But I think you're right because I don't think the film in itself can be deceitful, cruel, or mean. It just caught what it caught. I think he's right. talking about the event being. I think that's absolutely right. A couple of other things in in those lines. If you if we go back to the, the Parkland Hospital line. Dylan says only six more miles. And Parkland Hospital is actually four miles from where the assassination happened. Hmm. And But there is a Hank Williams song called Six More Miles to the Graveyard. Oh, wow. <laughs> so okay. it's actually, uh, you know, I think that was an interesting spin. Magic, again, that's... that's um, I think the magic bullet was from the Warren Commission. It was one of the things they were talking about with the inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. The, clum- the clumsy Patsy Klein. Okay, there's still interest there. Clumsy as it might be. And yeah, I do grip my teeth and kind of go, Ooh, when he sings it. But when we think about it, okay, Dylan, he actually was given that same year, December 1963. So we're talking about only weeks after you know you know only like you know a short time after the assassination dylan was given um the tom Paine award right and he was at the uh i always get these uh acronyms wrong the national emergency civil liberties committee yes i've got to get it i've got to get the words right Hmm. and so he was he was at the dinner and that's when he made that really controversial speech that shook them all up. Right. He got, he got a little know, drunk and yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I'm looking around this table, basically all the bald heads and the, the, they're old men in suits and I don't fit in here. And he actually said, though, at that point that I saw some of myself in Lee Oswald like when he's talking about, and he was actually booed at the time because obviously this is very fresh after the assassination. And uh, but I think what Dylan was meaning back then and what he means now by bringing in the patsy inference was the fact that Oswald had said he was a patsy and that he kind of was taking the rap for something that he didn't do. And I think Dylan could see a parallel there, not not in such a dramatic way. But we know that Dylan was very uncomfortable with being given this like spokesperson for the generation, yeah. protest singer, representing everybody. He was really uncomfortable and he felt like he was taking that as patsy foot for that movement for the, you know, he was like the, the most successful of all those um, protest singers and folk singers of the time, the political performers from, from New York and other places. But I think that Dylan saw something of himself in that, that, you know, and he wasn't comfortable with being pushed around by other people or told what to do or told what to, what he should be representing. Or um, uh, I think that's what he's getting at with that. But anyway, it, it's, it's a very clumsy line. It goes with the doggerel again, which I still think is deliberate in Dylan's case. And, uh, and talking of which, before we move on, I was just flicking through my papers here and I did have a note. It was Andrew Muir who, who said about the Tempest being pared down, you know, when I was talking about this writing process, he was at the Dylan Symposium in Tulsa last year, and he actually got access to the archives. He'd applied to get access to the archives, and he got to see Dylan's notes, wow. his, 
for writing Tempest, the song. And he saw it right there because I remember him telling me when he got back that he saw how Dylan had started off with with these long, huge lyrics and then paired them back and paired them back and paired them back and paired them back until you end up with something that's quite similar in structure to this song. Uh, You know, it's retelling a historical event with lots of tragedy in a specific way. Um, And so, yeah, it was Andy Muir who pointed that out um, about the pairing back. And then I started to think, as we've been talking, I'm like, this is this has been done before. And I think it was like a Rolling Stone. I think I remember reading that that Rolling Stone was pages and pages and 30 pages. Yeah. And he paired it right back until he just got that snippy rock song. (laughs) that obviously is like been voted best song of all time, whatever. But yeah, so I, I think it's a deliberate ploy with Dylan. And I think that this use of doggerel and pairing things back, I think it's deliberate. Yeah. I don't um, think it's lazy. Yeah. Uh, so even though I'm complaining about the Patsy Cline line, it's still interesting. And I love the song anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I will mention, I don't, I don't know. I can't see any connection here at all, but I will just say that the, the phrase magic bullet, uh, mm-hmm. actually does not originate with the Kennedy assassination. That was actually, okay. there is a 1940 movie uh, with Edward, Edgar G. Robinson called Dr. Ehrlich's Magic Bullet, uh, where he, and it's a true story oh. of the doctor that that came up the, for the cure, for, not the cure, but came up with the medicine for syphilis. And it was called wow. The Magic Bullet. And, you know, we all know that Bob is a big, big movie fan. And I have mm-hmm. to, it came out in 1940. Um, so I, I would it surprise me that Bob Dylan has seen that movie at some point in his travels? Not at all. It wouldn't surprise me because, you know, we know he loves Bogart and yep. Edward G. Robinson and all of those actors of that time. And I'm sitting here thinking, why haven't I heard of this movie? Rob, I've got to watch it. I'm a big Edward G. Robinson fan. <laughs> there you go. And I'm yeah. like, I love Eddie G. Why haven't I heard? Wow. Okay. That is brilliant. That's a good connection. So there you you go. So uh, he continues on. He says, Bob says, the day that they killed him, someone said to me, son, the age of the Antichrist has only just begun. Air Force One coming through the gate. Johnson sworn in at 238, which was actually, that's factually factually accurate. He was sworn in at 238. Let me know when you decide to throw in the towel. It is what it is. And it's a murder most foul. What like what are we who's 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 talking here and what are we talking? Let me know when you decide to throw in the towel. Who is the person? Throw, do you have an idea who the th- person is throwing in the towel at this point? That, that's a really interesting question. I'm wondering whether it's Johnson himself. Hmm. I'm wondering because um, Johnson decide. I think he he didn't run for re-election, did he? After that? No, no, he yeah, no, he did not. He did not. Well, well, no, he did. He ran again right. in 1964 and won. Right. He could have run again and uh, constitutionally he could have run again in 68, but he chose not to. Right. So he did oh, okay. step down when he could have had a second term, a complete term of his own. Because I, I remember him being like, yeah, I was trying to get my American political history right with my presence because I, I know that John's playing a role in uh, like the Vietnam War and everything later on in the 60s, like mid 60s, later from this point, I mean, from the Kennedy assessment. So yes, you'd be right. Um, yeah, I mean, that was my first thought was it was a reference to Johnson. Maybe, I don't know. That's a really good question. Yeah, yeah I don't know. That, that, that's... that is a fascinating question. Yeah. And it's one I don't have an answer to straight off. I mean, I just assumed with the proximity of the lines that it was johnson yeah i mean there is i mean obviously there is no answer to it but it's one of the it's one of the lines in this song that i just kind of go all right i yeah. don't know what's happening i don't know who the person is throwing in the t- although by saying the the age of the antichrist has already begun that is sort of 
uh, you know, with tacit admit we're, we're, we're fucked basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, that's That's right. That's it. So you might just say, Um, just give up there. We're, you know, this is, this thing has happened and it's moving and it's, uh, there's nothing else we could do. Uh, so then we get into verse four and we're back up into a, a, a later, uh, back into a sixties reference. What's new pussycat? What I'd say. I said the soul of a notion, nation has been torn away. And it's beginning to glow, go into slow decay and it's 36 hours past judgment day. Uh, mm-hmm. which is again, another very ominous, you know, when you talk about judgment day and the antichrist, you're, you're, I mean, yeah. now we're back into slow chain coming kind of stuff, you know, yeah. this sort of the, the end, the end is nigh kind of thing. And, uh, you know, concerning yeah. what's going on right now, it's kind of hard to, you know, maybe not argue that, um, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I will, I will get, I don't, I don't mean to go sideways, but the other night, uh, we were here in the apartment and Kelly and I heard a loud boom in the sky. And we were like, looked at each other like, what was that? It didn't sound like thunder, but it was, I mean, what else could it have been? And we went out and looked out the window and both of us just sort of shrugged and were like, you know, we're, we're only half wondering if it wasn't the four horsemen of the apocalypse coming. I mean, it, I mean, <laughs> it just seemed like, yeah, okay, there's loud booms now in the sky. Why wouldn't there be? We're in the middle of a pandemic. There's, you know, I mean, it just seemed, yeah. and we had that kind yeah. of just it's shruggy, like, well, history right. yeah. Where, you know, I see things on the news every day that at another point in time, they would have been scandals that would have destroyed politicians. Yeah, and now um, we just move I see on. Yeah. All sorts happening, and now everyone just goes, eh. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. The, the president admitted that he cheated a charity. All right, let's move on. Like, what? Yeah. You know, <laughs> what? Uh, We've got so, this over here in England yeah. as well with the, with the current government. You know, right. there's, uh, there's so many lies being told every day, and everyone's just shrugging and going, ah, well. Yeah, I, it, when, um, it, when it comes at you so hard and heavy, it does become numbing after a while. And, and it does. Um, so we, then we get after Judgment Day, we go back into Wolfman Jack. He's speaking in tongues. He's going on and on at the top of his lungs. Play me a song, Mr. Wolfman Jack. Play it for me in my long Cadillac. Play me only the good die young, Billy Joel. Take me to that place Tom Dooley was hung, another song reference. Play St. James Infirmary in the court of King James. If you want to remember, you better write down the names. Play out of James, too. Play I'd Rather Go Blind. Play for the man with his telepathic mind. Play John Lee Hooker. Play Scratch My Back. Play for that strip club owner named Jack. We're back to Jack Ruby. Guitar yep. Slim going down slow. Play it for me and for Marilyn Monroe. Uh, I mean, I have to see, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, 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 we didn't start the fire. Marilyn Monroe leans yep. heavily in that song too. And he mentioned yes, the Billy yes, Joel song here, did. but yeah, now we've moved into a different thing where the, the, the listener, the narrator has kind of, I guess, sort of moved on from the events right. and is now just sitting down at their radio playing, listening to Wolfman Jack. And, yep. you know, then now it's, it's amazing because now we're like, what, like, you know, we're at like minute eight or nine of the song. I feel like. It's at this point the song is sort of actually really revealing its larger point, uh, yep. I guess. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Um, I think I think this is where we really start rolling into, like, the verse 5 when you start with that, you know, play, play, play. That, yep. like, uh, you know, it's very, um, it's very repetitive with just lists of things. But I think everything that's listed has a reason to be there. Um, and like I said, I mean, if we went through absolutely every every reference there, there'd be like 80 songs we could talk about right. and why they're there. But, you know, I, I think you're right. This is getting to the core of it because everything there is made 
making the point. Um, and I was thinking about Marilyn Monroe because she actually died in 1962, right. the year before. Had a connection so, to Kennedy, of course. With the connection to Kennedy, she sang Happy Birthday to him. Where was that? Madison Square Garden, was I it? I believe so, yeah. Obviously, that's very famous. People have imitated that a lot. Um, but, yeah, it's – I just – yeah, I think that the, this is where we get that very complex – not chronological it's more to do with how things connect in people's brains people's minds and people's memories don't work in a chronological order you know we connect things um for other reasons our brains create um you know our synapses fire and our dendrites grow and we make neurological connections between memories and information that is not chronological and I think that's what that's what we're seeing here. We've got all of these connections that seem random, but they actually all have a point and connect in different ways. And that's what I, that's what I love about this song. Yeah, I, I one of the things I got from it when again we move into verse five, and it does just become a, a list of please don't let me be misunderstood. Play it for the first lady; she ain't feeling any good. Play Don Henley. Play Glenn Fry. Take it to the limit and let it go by. Play it for Carl Wilson too. Looking far, far away down Gower Avenue, I noticed that someone said you have to be a real musicologist to know that <laughs> Carl Wilson played on uh, uh, played on Gower Avenue, which is a song. Mm-hmm. I know a uh, Warren Zevon song. He actually literally played on that song. So I mean right. that's that too. And of course, Bob Dylan knows all this stuff. Play tragedy. Play Twilight Time. Take me back to Tulsa and the scene of the crime. Play another one, and another one bites the dust. Play the old rugged cross, and in God we trust. Ride the pink horse. Then that long lonesome road, of course, riding a pink horse is a reference to the apocalypse. Yep. Uh, there's that too. But I mean, I feel like at this point, one of the things I take from it is that this is is this person, this this narrator, is desperate mm-hmm. for some some solace, you know, some yeah. some some respite from what from the the, the nightmare that he's just uh, engaged, uh, he's just been confronted with, and he's just yep. searching for anything. And it actually what 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 this what this reminded me of was mm-hmm. a line that Bob himself wrote for the song Political World, but then was right. later edited out for the final version of the song. But if you have the bootleg version of that song, you can hear it. And the line specifically that I'm thinking of is he talks about we, we're living in a political world, a world of wine, women and song. You can make it through without the first two, without the third. You wouldn't last long. And right. it's like he's regarding the the music, the song being more important than anything else, more mm-hmm. than more than love, more than sustenance. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's the song that's going to get you through. Yeah. And then of course you know we're then we're in the, in the meta moment where he's it's kind of like Blind Willie McTell, you know. I mean he's he's moaning the loss of a great blues singer while he himself is mm-hmm. being a great blues singer. Yeah. And one of the things that I again I took from this is is. The idea of um, all these people that he's listing, you know, Glenn Fry and Queen and Stevie Nicks mm-hmm. and all and Stan Getz and Oscar Peterson, Dickie Betts, Thelonious Monk, Charlie Parker, Patsy Klein, These are all people that created things, you know, mm-hmm. and of course, this is a man who once said, don't create anything because it will follow you the rest <laughs> of your life. But this That's is. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is someone. These are all people that created something. And it made me think, well, is there something what can we all do for each other now? That helps mm-hmm. us get through it, and I think if you're if you're uh, of, of 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 a bent to create, he's he's making a sort of thing to go create, go create something because you'll put it out there, 
and maybe it will provide the solace in this moment that Mm -hmm. in God we trust and that old rugged cross is doing for the man in this moment. And of course, you know, that makes you, makes you, at least me, makes me think of the line, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, which is, of course, the most famous line probably John Kennedy ever spoke. And Mm -hmm. when I, when I wrap up this song, it makes me, I, I mentioned this on Facebook. This song makes me want to create, you know, right. like I, I mean, this is, um, that's what we're doing. And that's what you and I are doing right now yep, is creating it. this thing. And it makes me feel like, and I don't mean to get too highfalutin about it and get on my pink horse, but <laughs> it, it's kind of like I'm creating something that maybe someone else will, will find a nice distraction in this horrible moment. The way I find distraction in this song and the way I find distraction in other podcasts that my friends do and other people do. Yep. And I feel like that's, it's kind of like at the, I, I, I feel like by the time we're getting to this point, the, the song song that he's peeled back the the curtain and we now we know oh okay this is a a plea to creativity a plea to doing something and putting it out there for someone else and this is what all these people have done and of course he's honoring them by naming them you know by Mm -hmm. naming stevie nicks and naming billy joel and all these kinds of things and i feel like that's ultimately what it is even though it's it's kind of quote-unquote buried in the back end of this 17 minute song yeah Oh, I, I think that's a wonderful way of looking at it. I, I, I really, I really like that. I think you, you bang on the money. And I think as well, people do find solace in music. You know, when people are sick, when people are in pain, emotional pain as well as physical pain. We all, we all uh, lean on the music, right? Like I know I do when I'm feeling bad. I have certain songs that I know that I always turn to. And uh, I, and I think that music as well. There have been studies that have proven that music is one of the most um, powerful ways to access somebody's memory. People mm. remember times in their life with what songs were playing at the time or what right. they were into right. musically. You know, you hear a song and suddenly it can take you back 30, 40, 50 years um, and you have those memories. And I know that there's been studies done with Alzheimer's patients where they literally won't remember their family but they will remember songs. They'll remember all the lyrics to their favorite songs. Or if they used to play a musical instrument, they will remember all the music that they used to play. Um, They'll still be able to play the piano. And, you know, people often say um, when they have relatives, I mean, I had that with my grandma. She, she, uh, she had Alzheimer's and she loved Nat King Cole and she loved Frank Sinatra. And she, you know, she'd had a couple of strokes and she had dementia. But if you played that music for her, she'd remember all the words and sing along. Like she couldn't form sentences properly, but she could sing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just think music is so powerful. And actually movies are as well with that visual element, you know. So, and they're a real cultural touchstone. They bring everybody together in a way or like bring a society together. You know, they're, they're expressions of what's happening in the culture at that time. Um, and so, yes, I think, um, yeah, I, that's, that's one of the reasons why I really, uh, I, I really do think that this, this song is, is very powerful. Right. I mean, if you, if you read the final verse on just the lyrics and I mean, it's, it's long, I mean, it's an incredibly long verse. It just goes on and on and on. If you just yes. read it, it looks very, like we talked about, repetitive and just kind of like, God, it's just a guy just saying play. But to me, it, it, it enters into a sort of hypnotic dream state kind of yep. thing. And and by the yep. f- and now there are references still to Kennedy. It talks about, don't worry, Mr. President helps on the way. There's a, there's a reference to Love Field where the plane touched down and never got back mm-hmm. off the ground. So he's never quite dropping the, the, uh, 
the, the Kennedy stuff. Uh, but I mean, yep. it talks about Bugsy Siegel play pretty play, play pretty boy Floyd, which of course Dylan himself covered. Um, yep. Cry me a river. But I mean, it, it's it's what turns this song to me from a just sad meditation on a horrible event into yeah. something else because it's sort of like, well, geez, Bob, do I, I'm in the middle of a pandemic over here. Do I want to hear a song about the Kennedy assassination right now? But that's, he transforms it into this other thing at the end. And it goes on to play Misty for me, at which mm-hmm. I love another pun play Misty for me, of course, is a yes. dual reference yeah. to a movie and the song that yes. old devil moon play. Anything goes Memphis in June play love lonely at the top and lonely are the brave played for Houdini spinning around in his grave play jelly roll Morton play Lucille Play Deep in a Dream, play Driving Wheel, play Moonlight Sonata in F-sharp, and A Key to the Highway for the King on the Harp. Play th- Marching Through Georgia and Dumbarton's Drums, play Darkness and Death when ta- will ta- play Darkness and Death Will Come When It Comes. Play Love Me or Leave Me by the Great Bud Pal. Play the Bloodstained Banner, play Murder Most Foul. And I do, we talked about, you know, we've said this numerous times about the the paring down. You do feel like he could have probably gone on another five minutes with this stuff. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, and I'm sure he's probably got like a whole notebook full of of, uh, verses for this that he didn't do, uh, didn't record. But, you know, that whole part, again, there is a lovely pun. Dylan has a soft spot um, for uh, outlaws. Yeah, sure. You've got the Joey, uh, you've got Pretty Boy Floyd. Rambin Gamblin' Willie. Yeah, rambling, gambling. He's he's always got that. It's uh, and I think that's very much an um, an American kind of cultural folklore type thing. I mean, over here in Britain we have Robin Hood, I guess. Um, uh, but yeah, he he does. And there's a lovely pun in there again because by the time he says, "Play the numbers, play the odds," he's not talking about playing a song. He's talking about you know taking a risk and taking right, a gamble. Right, right. And again, it's that mafia link and you know playing the numbers game and everything. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of puns in there as well. And, uh, you know, Shakespeare comes up again uh, with the Merchants of Venice, uh, Merchants of Death, Stella by Starlight from Mer- for Lady Macbeth. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I see... What I love about it is you've got this break in the middle, that you've got this list of songs and cultural figures and movies... And then you write back to, don't worry, Mr. President, help's on the way. You know, we're right back there on the scene where they're in the car and they're rushing towards the underpass. They're rushing to try and get into the hospital. Um, and like you said, it's almost like a hypnotic dream state where you he's going through all of these these um, memories and songs. You know, play this, it'll make me feel better. Play that, play this, play this. And suddenly, you know, don't worry, we're on our way. We're on our way to the hospital. And so we keep moving in and out and in and out those waves again right and then so you've also got i i think it's another self-reference there when it says they killed him on the altar of the rising sun and i'm i'm, I'm pretty sure that's a that's a, a nod and a wink to the house of the rising right, sun right but using the term altar we've got these religious imageries and the religious um references coming through all the way through the song and you know they killed him on the altar it was almost like a sacrifice right Kind of thing, yeah. you know, it, it kind of, again, you go back to uh, um, Highway 61 Revisited with uh, Abraham and Isaac. You know, <laughs> right. Kill Abraham me a son. Abe say, man, you must be putting me on. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so I, I, I see that as kind of a, a sacrificial image right there. Um, the Memphis in June link, um, that's tight connection to my heart. He, he 
he had that reference right, in there, right. oh my kind of thing. You've got another pun with Houdini spinning around in his grave in Jelly Roll Morton. So you've got spinning in Jelly Roll <laughs> in two lines. Um, now, the Jerry, Jelly Roll Morton reference, again, of course, Dylan wrote High Water, Charlie Patton. Right. And uh, the, the first verse in there uh, says, uh, Bertha Mason shook it, broke it, and she hung it on a wall. Now, Bertha Mason is a character of a crazy lady from Jane Eyre, which Charlotte Bronte is my favorite author, so I'm kind of into Jane Eyre. But hmm. So Bertha Mason is the, the mad woman in the attic <laughs> um, in Jane Eyre. And then to, com- to combine that in the Charlie Patton song with the reference, uh, you know, she shook it, broke it, she hung it on the wall. That, that's a Charlie Patton song. You can shake it, you can break it, you can hang it on the wall. Uh, but, he, but the chorus of that is my jelly, my roll, oh, mama, don't you let it fall. Right? So it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it just keeps going round and round, you know. How does he keep all this stuff in his head? I don't know. I, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be living inside Dylan's head, even for five minutes. I couldn't, you know, um, when he sings my warehouse eyes in Sad-Eyed Lady, I always think, you know what? His brain is like a warehouse. It's like he's got everything shelved, everything he sees, everything he's ever heard, everything he's ever read. It's almost like, I don't know. He he must have the most incredible brain. Yeah. And, and, yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, most of these references are obviously of a certain age. Uh, the the most I would say the Nightmare on Elm Street is almost the most recent one, and that it's kind of an right. '80s vintage. Uh, there's some stuff from the '70s in there, Billy Joel and the Eagles and Queen and stuff. But I mm-hmm. and this is getting as we're sort of having to wrap up here. I mean, I could go on forever, but I don't want this to be the first three hour episode <laughs> of, of Bob Dylan. Um, but like, it always makes me wonder, like, what does he take in nowadays? And like, does he have do, does he have friends that recommend stuff to him? And what's that like? You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, are there people, is, is, are there people out there that are like, hey, Bob, man, I, did you see Avengers Infinity War? You know, like, is, <laughs> does he have that life? I don't know. I mean, he must really be taking funny. in all this new stuff. But I mean, uh, again, it's like all this. I mean, you could, we've already talked about that there's a song list, you know, that mm-hmm. you can make a playlist. You could do, if there were such still things as movie, as a video stores, you could do a video section of just movies mentioned in this song. Absolutely. You know, Lonely Are the Brave and Harold Lloyd and all this stuff. I mean, you could just do that too. Mer- Here's a Merchant yep. of Venice version. You could do all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's um, yep. Murder. Mo- I mean, Murder Most Foul itself is a movie. It's a it's a Miss Marple movie. Um, so is, yep. yeah, yep. I mean, it's just. I mean, okay. I again, I, we. I hate to wrap this up, but I like I said, it, it's uh, we we. I don't want this to go on too long. As we're sort of okay, let me just jump. Like in total. Tara, like yeah. what, how is it, how do you feel about this song? How do you feel like it adds to his, le- I hate to say this word, but it's, it is, how did it adds to his legend? Do you think mm-hmm. it, do you think it portends something? I mean, I, I've seen some people say, oh, this is, this is it. This is his last song or, te- but then those are the same people that said Tempest was his last album. And that's clearly not <laughs> it. I mean, yeah, I don't think Bob himself knows. I don't think he ever does any of this stuff with the intention of sending some coded message no. Um, necessarily. I think he saw that, that people were really hurting and he knows he has a lot of fans and maybe he thought, you know, people want to hear from me and here's this thing we can do. But do you, I don't know what overall, like, I know we're still, this song is barely a week old, uh, yeah. in all of our minds, but like how, where, how do you, how do you feel like it fits into the, the greater mosaic that is his career so far? I don't think this is the end. I think we've still got lots and lots more to come. At least I hope so. Um, 
I think there's going to be a new album this year. I just have a oh, kind of, oh, you know, oh, I, I really want there to be. I really want there to be. Um, so I think we're going to get some new compositions coming through. I think I think that really this this to me feels like it's the way that Dylan's been writing songs for the for the last few years. Um, I think especially if you just look at Tempest, the songs on there have a lot in common with with Murder Most Foul mm-hmm. in terms of structure and in terms of musicality and also in terms of subject matter almost. You know, you take a historical event and write um, such a beautiful piece about it. I I think we've got lots more to come. I'm not sure where we're going. And that's a great thing, right? When you're a Dylan fan, like, uh, you know, predictions of the gypsies, as they say. Um, <laughs> and so I had, I don't have a crystal ball, but I feel that this is just another step along the way. I think we've, like, we kind of go through phases with Dylan, right? So, you know, you'll go through the protesting phase and the rock star phase. And, you know, then you've got the 70s, the rolling thunder, and then you've got the later ones. And then you get the gospel music phase and, um and I, I think that we've been through the kind of American songbook paying tribute to, you know, all those great singers and, and crooners from the past and the great standard pop songs of, of when Dylan was growing up, really. You know, you're talking about 40s, 50s. Um, and I think this is marking kind of a new a new face in, in Dylan where he's probably been writing i hope fingers crossed i hope he's been writing new material i hope we've got a new album with with original stuff coming through i i i'm just really looking forward to what comes next really i try not to think too much about it because i kind of get myself all excited and then if it doesn't happen i'll be very disappointed yeah but no i I think this is going to be an interesting year for dylan fans um i think as well i think i think this is a really nice touch i think when you look at, um, okay, I'm trying to kind of like connect these things in my brain now. So, and be succinct because I know we're running out of time on on the show. Um, but when you look at, say, for example, the Nobel speech, uh, the, the announcement that he did with the music playing in the background, right. that reminded me of this too. Like I kind of see this as a pattern that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, it's almost mm-hmm. like said that new style of him present, of him singing, which is almost like part talking Parts. It's very, it's very musical. There's musicality to it, but it's half spoken, half sung with the background music. I think that's definitely a way that he's moving in his uh, performance style. So I think, I think we've got good things to come, and we're probably going to have another, um, another phase of, of Bob Dylan's music. I hope so. Please. I hope um, so. I don't want to make any predictions. Um, I mean, I just love it. I, I think it's quite. I don't know whether I should smile when when, when I see this, but sometimes it, it's probably a wry smile. It's one of this like, let's smile though your heart is aching. You know, talking about um, Nat King Cole. But when when I read um, the announcement that Dylan had written himself, I just thought it was I, like I actually smiled because you know we've got I've been seeing Paul Simon's been putting out stuff, putting out videos for um, for his fans. He did a recording of American Tune. He did uh, The Boxer the other day, and he's been releasing them for, for his fans who are in lockdown. He's literally, you know, he's just in wherever he's in, and he's just playing with his guitar and releasing videos. And there's a lot of musicians doing that right now. Um, and so, you know, I'm just imagining you know, Bob Dylan sitting there like, what can I do? Like, this is such a hard time, and everyone's locked down, and everyone's stressed, and everyone's upset. Let's do something nice for the fans. And then he releases a song, Murder Most Foul, which probably has... You know, it talks about one of the most 
um, game-changing, pivotal moments in American modern history, politically, socially, culturally. Um, and it's very visceral and it's very detailed and it's long. And I mean, I saw a video of somebody, people post reaction videos on YouTube and there was a girl who, I mean, I say girl, she must have only been like a teenager or early 20s who was listening to it. And she actually burst into tears when she was listening. Like genuinely, she was she was going to do a reaction video on it. Just her first time listening, she was going to just talk to the webcam uh, about what she thought about it, and she actually started crying in the middle of it. It's it's an important time in our in in the world's kind of history right now with this virus and everything that's happening, and uh, people are all on edge. People are emotional. And this is a very emotive subject matter. And I think Dylan's done it really well. I think he's done it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I have to think that um, uh, because he can't tour right now, obviously, (laughs) no one can, uh, that he feels somewhat silenced a bit by that. He can't Mm. tour. And so uh, he's now he now has this new digital platform that he didn't have just, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, obviously, in in the time of when the uh, when he was a a a sort of popular artist, um, he had to release singles, you know, and release yeah. albums. And and now that 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 that's, there will not be a Bob Dylan single anymore. That we don't have singles anymore, really. Um, but I'm wondering if he's finding a way of like, well, I can still get my my music out there in a different way, and it spreads, yeah. and it you know gets out there and it disseminates to my fans. And this is something he can do while he's feeling sort of silence because he has talked about that he really considers himself more of a touring musician than yeah. a recording artist at this point. And that oh, you know, and so and and you and we've taken the, you know the 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 fates have taken away the one thing from him that he likes to do the most. And so right. now he's sitting up in his house, presumably in Malibu somewhere, in that, <laughs> that, that onion-domed comp, Xanadu compound that he's got, um, yeah. and hopefully taking care of the dogs and whatnot, and, and mm-hmm. probably can go to the Sony guys and say, hey, here's this track that we recorded uh, here and this and that, and release it. And it, it's it's a way, I'm, you know, just is just me guessing, of him connecting to his fans in a way that yep. he can't now because he's not getting, you know, he's not getting to play for them anymore. That's a really good point. I think live performance is absolutely key to Dylan. Yeah, this uh, the the Japanese tour being cancelled. I mean, I don't know what's going to be happening in the months coming up, but people are even talking about into you know June still being on lockdown, still being in isolation. Who knows what's going to happen? But I think you're right that that will have taken the wind out of Dylan's sails big time because I, he definitely thrives on touring and he seems to love japan like it, it seems to always give him a real boost when he can get out there yeah yeah and mm-hmm. and yet he continues to give you know what i mean he continues mm-hmm. to give us stuff he continues to i mean again this is he just keeps you on your toes and it's it's one of the great things about being a fan of his and i'm so every time he releases something new it adds something to the edifice and you yep. know it you it makes you recontextualize everything that's come before because now yep. now we have this thing you know and you're like oh wow all right now we have the now we have the new longest song ever so uh, <laughs> i mean look tara and i could keep going on and on and on and on about this but i i do want to wrap i think we're going to be around two hours which is i think about the the, the second longest episode uh, we've ever wow. done to this point and this is just you know one song the the longest episode was number 100 i did with 
Aurora, and that was talking about the many versions of Tangled Up in Blue. We're talking right. about one version of Murder <laughs> Most Foul, which seems appropriate in its own way. Wow. So I think at some point I will have to revisit this song because it's just, yeah. again, it's seven days old and I, I'm still having to sort of digest it and move on. And, and but, but for now, I'm really glad that we had a chance to do this. Could not uh, imagine anyone better to do it with than you, Tara, because I just oh, enjoy talking to you so very much. <laughs> And if, if I've said in other episodes that if, if this show, doing this show, has gotten me anything, uh, it, it has gotten me to get to meet, uh, at least virtually, uh, a lot of great people that I have never even knew existed. And so mm-hmm. I am just so – I was so happy to talk with you about this. And so, again, I thank you so much for kind of dropping what you were doing and taking up a couple afternoons. I will let you know, everybody, we had to record this over a couple of afternoons. Because uh, I'm working. Uh, I'm, I'm working. I managed to fit this in. And so thank you just so much for coming back yet again. You're very welcome. And, and the, the I mean, I want to I want to reiterate that. Number one, this podcast is great. It's absolutely brilliant. Like, all I've right. Been listening all right. To, Don't stop yeah. complimenting me. Move on. Tara. But a lot of people who have uh, been your guests with me now being a guest, I, I've connected with them. And you're right. There is a group of really great people out there. It's like the Pod Dylan family. <laughs> and, um, you know, the listeners, the people who've been guests on the show, I, that you know, they've reached out to me as, as well. And, and they're so supportive. It's so nice in the modern day. Like when you look at some of social media that, that just exists to knock people down, Ugh. I find the Pod Dylan community, as I'm going to call them, they're very supportive. You know, they boost each other up. They're very, you know, it's a group of very positive, very creative people who who want to support each other and, you know, enjoy the music in a positive way without having to knock anybody down. So I'd like to say thank you about that. And I would like to say thank you to everybody online, everybody who's been posting their ideas and thoughts and reviews of this song that have helped me when I've been looking up. You know, I've seen a reference and not got it. And I know that a lot of what we talked about today I've been looking at online and I know a lot of other people have been out there doing a lot of hard research that has helped me too. So thank you to everybody. Yeah, thank you. Thanks everybody. And thanks, Bob. Thank you so much. For <laughs> yes. So, thank you to Bob Dill to keep us, keep us going through these times. <laughs> yeah. It's uh oh boy. So um, let's just do a quick sign off. Of course, uh, you can follow the show on fireandwaterpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network over at Patreon, so it's FW Podcast. A big thanks to Robert Ward and the Pledger who will remain masked and anonymous for their financial support of the show. Thank you so much. So that is going to do it, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Go out and enjoy Murder Most Foul. Uh, go out and play at a bunch play. Go play, play, play Murder Most Foul. And, uh, and uh, you know, enjoy this moment that we have new Bob Dylan material and maybe there's more coming. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you later. Bye. Play Misty for me and that old devil moon. Play Anything Goes and Memphis in June. Play Lonely at the Top and Lonely at the Break. Play it for Houdini spinning around his way. Play Jelly Roll Morton, play Lucille. Play Deep in a Dream and play Driving Wheel. Play Bootlight Sonata in F sharp. And the key to the highway for the king of the heart. 
They marching through Georgia in Dumbarton Strokes Play darkness and death will come when it comes Play love me or leave me by the great bird town Play the bloodstained banner, play murder most foul 